This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,531, recorded May 29th, 2000. First, a little private note to you guys out there in the cities. Even though some of you have already dropped me a note and told me how you're enjoying the change in the format and doing the direct online streaming and etc., several people have also made note one way or the other, I could tell what they meant, that they felt already sort of nostalgic. And so I want to point out, I've done it before in the past, I want to tell you people out of town, my druthers, my rathers or druthers, is that you people in the cities, that there's still a few of you that have been getting together. My preference is that you still do so. That is my preference. That is my preference. I'd prefer that you do that. That's my personal note from me to you. I believe that I will read what I wrote two or three get-togethers back. I've already talked about most of this, but I had written it, and if you recall, those of you that saw me in person, I pulled it out and never did read these. But I think I shall read them. I wrote them. I went to all the trouble to type these things. Somebody's going to hear them, and it looks like it's going to be you. I am not going to waste that effort. Throughout the history of this sort of thing, those interested have been told that to wake up to what's really going on, that you must understand the mind. And the study of the mind is indeed the best you can do to start with, but is ultimately the lamest. For the sole source of all things that fill the mind are feelings, emotions, passions. A man's thoughts are not a statement of what he thinks, but of what he feels. To take the mind seriously is to take a reading from a seismograph for an earthquake. Consciousness is charged with registering and remembering the activities of feelings. Feelings are constant, constantly monitoring the state of the organism and its environment, and thoughts are their readings put into manipulable abstract forms, words, images. Based on this model, thoughts are not actually things in and of themselves, but are just registrations of feelings which are supremely real and responsible for our survival. When the mind is not consciously and specifically engaged in problem solving pertinent to your survival, it is a mechanical device which reruns reaffirms and refreshes your memory of previous profitable responses to challenging situations. Thus, daydreams can be viewed as the mind staying in shape, staying prepared to make quick, beneficial decisions whenever the feelings of our total organism are in need of such assistance. Those with an interest in this sort of activity have been forever assured that they need to have a mind that is free of preferences to ever achieve enlightenment, and yet no such mind is possible. For the thoughts a man normally has 
have an emotional past for him or else he would not be having them. All feelings, passions of the body, you might say, are preferential. Which is their purpose? And since all thoughts are simply mental notations of some feeling, they too will always be preferential, biased, and prejudiced. From this model, it is not sufficient to forever just study the mind. You need go deeper into the subject to get to the bottom of the mind, which will bring you face to face with feelings. It is feelings that are at the bottom of the mind, not some other secret. The voice you hear in your head is not the sound of your mind, but is rather the noise of your emotions sounding in your brain. Thoughts are like a shadow speaking for an own for a nun thoughts are like a shadow speaking for an unspeaking object. In your second to second existence there is no comparison whatsoever in the importance between feelings and thinking. Compared to feelings, thinkings have no importance. Even though all thought comes solely from feelings, at any given moment the words and images in your mind may or may not bear an apparent direct relationship to the feelings of the moment. You could, from this perspective, even say that feelings are your real self and thoughts your illusionary self. The reality of this would also throw bright light on the seemingly endless conflict men say they experience within themselves. And I have named a certain method vis-a-vis -vis this alternative model by the name of the acknowledgement of the obvious, whereby you see quite plainly in both model theory and actual practice that thoughts are not separate entities unto themselves but are merely registers of feelings file clerks for emotions and thus all attempts to directly deal with thoughts in some metaphysical fashion is pure foolishness like trying to learn the workings of a machine merely by watching its gauges like trying to treat a sick man by ministering to his shadow like trying to learn human physiology by looking at a man's x-rays I urge you to try and abandon all concern for thought and the mind. Don't struggle with them. Don't look at them. Don't even think about them. Cause yourself to be aware that you're always being run, directed, and controlled by feeling, not by any thoughts you may be having. And it is not to become a hypochondriac of some type, this type of feeling has nothing to do with the way you physically feel. It is having an awareness that feelings are all you intend to notice. And when you discover your own way of doing this, you'll experience an immediate freedom from the annoyance you feel being apparently a captive of the mind. Looks like it would be appropriate to me to maybe right now give a good solid commentary on yak 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 <laughs> yak 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 yeah, yeah. you know when you are free from having your consciousness your awareness drowned 
overwhelmed, carried away by thinking. It makes you supremely aware, which I'm sure you all would say you are in theory, but it makes you supremely aware of the reality of what I just got through talking about in words, and that is the inanity. Can you have an adverb of inane? Sure didn't sound right, did it? Inanity. Well, you knew what I meant. How about the vacuo? Vacuousnessnessnessness. <laughs> Without any doubt, to me, and I'm not alone in this observation, no one could ever wake up without the words of someone else. Without any doubt in my mind. Just literally. <laughs> there is no way that anyone could ever achieve anything in this kind of activity. Unless it was due, unless, were it not for the words of someone, that someone else said something, and it could have been in a book, you could have read it, but it had to be the words of someone that you can say, that everyone can say, were it not for words, were it not even maybe for specific words, you might be able to remember. Uh, the first time you had a big, as I used to call it, the big satori, maybe a couple of the first or second. Or even some of the minor ones that should by, be innumerable by now. But just, you could probably recall things that someone said or something that you read that had a, at the moment, not just the words had an impact, but it, to some degree, not fooling around with arguing the words, it, it woke you up for a minute, for a second. It had such an impact and you saw so much, so clearly, at that moment, that you even can recall the words. There is no doubt that were it not for the words of other people, somebody, no one would ever achieve anything in this. But then the curious part is, if it weren't for words, we wouldn't be in this condition. <laughs> I know it's, it was, I laughed at it, sort of, I guess you call it bitter sweet laughter, many decades ago, and it's still kind of curious. That's what I was, sort of was behind me going, yak, 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 yak. Because for the last several nights, I have, as I surely you can tell, I have tried my best to refer you to try and push your attention. Almost I want to grab you and push you if I could do it physically. Like, look over there, just do this. And it is really beyond... I don't know what else to say. I was struggling with it, driving over here. What more could I say? And I wondered how many of you had made any successful effort to deal with it in the last four or five nights. It's not trying to stop thought. Not to me. That's not the way it's done. Because unless you know something, I don't. Unless you can... Do something I can't. You cannot decide to stop thought and stop thought. You're simply caught up in it. You have to be able to do something else. And I can see, by the way, here we're going to yak yak. I'm just going to talk for another probably 35 or 40 minutes about nothing.
And yet, if I didn't, just what I say, some of you, it might be the final push. Is that strange or not? Yak, 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 yak. No, seriously now. Okay. Serious, yak, 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 yak. I can see that there have been many people who faced up without being able to describe it, and apparently they didn't get past it, but that faced up to the problem of trying to stop thought. I would suggest to you that that is where originally the idea of prayer came from, long before religion got hold of it. I say, too, it was the whole idea that somewhere I've never tried to come up with a full ex the full scenario to explain to you people. I've mentioned it once or twice. Uh, I can see from one possible model that religion itself started right after the first man or two became conscious, that his brain began to produce thought. And whoever the first guy was, that after he got the benefit of the thought, and that things calmed down a little bit, that he had used thought to learn how to carry fire around or invent the wheel or whatever. That he saw the benefit of abstract memory. After he had, you might say, clutched thought to the bosom of his heart, cherished it as though he had a choice, but was feeling delighted of what a great thing this is. Now I don't have to wrestle physically with tigers and lions. I can outsmart them. Then whoever it is, my fictitious Adam, the first guy that finally, when things calmed down, then began to find some complaint with it, that this is annoying. It was okay when it was worthwhile. It's okay when it was useful. But this is beginning to bug me. And I don't know how to shut it off. Not only does it bug me for no particular reason, it's not going to kill me, but not only does it just annoy me, it's just running on and on. But I'll get caught up in it, in this just running on and on, and I'll turn around and do something dangerous. I will get distracted. That had to be when they came up with the word distracted. I don't know what it was in Latin. Assuming that cavemen spoke Latin, I don't know why I always assume they did. <laughs> but doesn't it seem right? Well, no, it doesn't. Now that I say that, that's too genteel. They wouldn't have spoke Latin. Maybe Polish. <laughs> But at any rate, distraction had to be one of the first words, at least in my metaphysical atom archetype would be, that he realized it distracts me. It's useful when it's useful, but when I'm not using it, it tends to distract me. It, it tends, it can distract me to my peril, but at least to my great annoyance. Still giving my original archetype, Assuming there was a father to all attempts to awaken. That's what I mean by Adam, as you know. Then he had to realize, maybe it took him a lifetime or two, that, all right, I'll just stop thinking. I'll only think when I want to. The same way I'll only uh, go out and hunt when I figure, when I'm hungry, when uh, I believe that there's game in the vicinity. I'll only go out and try to catch water in my hat when it's raining. I will only do things that are useful at the time they're useful. So therefore, unless I have some problem, unless I see some purpose in thinking, I will not think. 
Simple enough, except you can't do it. So I can imagine, since I feel like I have lived through it myself in my own lifetime, and to whatever degree you've been that interested, you have too, but I feel like I can read about all the many things they've done. I think, yep, I did that, and I did that, and I did that, and it's almost the history over two or 3,000 years of what people have been through. Like, well, if I can't stop it, I will control it. I'll stay more alert to it. If I can't absolutely stop it, I will stay on top of it. I'll become a constant observer to it. Nothing will slip by me, and so that as soon as I see that I'm getting too far immersed in just the runnings of my mind, and I, especially if I'm about to engage in perhaps some physical activity, that I realize this would present a more potential danger than it would if I just sitting at home in a chair. So you try all of that. And speaking for myself, at least, and many others I can tell in history, I found none of it satisfactory. All of it was just little things I'd come up with, little things to do, but still you had the overall problem that consciousness. And you finally have to realize that, that this is the way we're structured, that what we call consciousness, what we call the mind, is made to think. That's its whole purpose. And that if you don't have any particular reason to think, thinking goes on anyway. And then there are all the metaphysical problems of what, as the other mystics put it, try to describe how thinking will mislead you about other people and have you to, you don't see reality directly, and et cetera. But I'm just dealing with it on the basis that, and with you people, that I assume you just don't like it, that you don't have a great theoretical struggle with life that the only struggle is with what's going on in you they found out I assume came to the conclusion that there is no way to absolutely stop thought you can do things you can engage in all kinds of extraordinary activities such as trying to sit until you go to blind or to try to get up and dance around to whirl in a circle to go try to push a mountain over. To do something that takes extraordinary, extraordinary useless effort. And of course nowadays you got access to drugs. You can do the same thing. That will put your cortex, will put your nervous system in an anomalistic state. And so there have been people, without a doubt, because I know how to do it. Some of you probably had it happen to you anyway. Through drugs, if nothing else that apparently your mind can almost stop. But I say that it is not a natural phenomenon. I say it is not something that you could naturally sustain. Not directly. And yet, anyone who's had the so-called Satori experiences, people who have been in that state once or twice for a day or so, then you know that what I'm describing is not absolutely true to say that you can stop, or I say that you can't stop thought. Uh, for all practical purposes, you're not burdened with thought when you're in the so-called state. To me, the trick has always been, once I got through all of that, was how to sustain it, how to bring it on, how to bring on as close as I could and sustain it. How to keep from chasing your tail forever, even when you apparently, aha, I have not chased my tail now for what? A minute, two minutes, five minutes, whatever the hell it is. 
It's like saying, well, I have set, I have practiced a Zen for 30 years, and by God, every 10 years or so, I actually go. I'll be right there in the hall meditating, and suddenly, it seems like maybe for an hour or two, my mind is finally stilled. Praise be to Buddha. Once or twice, every 30 or 40 years, every 10 or 20 years, what I've been describing to you, to me, is the closest thing to a trick, to a continual trick. In fact, to me, it's a little more than what I call a trick. But you can't do it on the basis that I am not going to think. Well, that's not the way I've done it. Because I've tried all the other ways. I have tried every possible, as far as I Maybe not every possible, but billions and billions of ways of trying to grab thought and stop it. While even knowing, for the past, for the last ten years I did it, I guess, knowing that the mind can't grab the mind. Like I say, yeah, I know all that, but no. So what? <laughs> you got the work of what you got. But I knew it couldn't be done. Sort of. How do you do it? I say why I started a while back when I said prayer and etc. Uh... The idea of prayer, the idea that there are superhuman beings, the idea that there are supernatural or greatly superior and awakened people that are trying to help you, that you can call out all that crap. All that stuff, I say to you, is a very weak reflection of, the, of trying to find another way to not let consciousness be taken over by thought without thinking about thought. Because if you think about it, then you're right back where you started. And it doesn't matter that you're thinking, quote, well, I'm not going to think about thought. It sounds silly when you say it. And yet, the world has been full of, the mystical world has been full of, and is still full of this very minute of people attempting to do that. Still attempting to do it. And I'm not laughing at them because I attempted to do it. But they're still attempting to do it, and there are people who spend their whole life and never realize that they're not getting anywhere. They can believe they are, and etc. And it seems like you are, etc. But you're not. Well, even if you were, the progress is so piss poor. I can't believe sometimes that they can pers you know, persist in it. I give them credit. Maybe credit for stupidity, but credit for persistence. You know, the kind of stuff that people still spend a lifetime attempting to do, I spent... You know, back in the past, I spent, I don't know what, an hour, a day, and I thought, screw this. So at least I give them, if you want to call it credit, <laughs> there are people that have been doing it for 40 years, and every morning get up and say, by God, back at it. Anyway, why I started to point out, uh, not, that they not that any of them realize it now, but the whole idea of trying to pray to a guru, trying to pray to God, trying to remember Buddha, all of that shit, all that stuff, does anybody, can you see it? It's you're trying not to think, and they don't know exactly how to go about it, and so they're trying to take the mind off of thinking and put it on something else. It's very weak. I mean, if it worked, I'd be teaching it. I would have been doing it. I tried that when I was a kid. Because if you're going to put it on something outside of you, it's got to have a name. And it's got to have more than a name. There's got to be descriptions. You have to think about it. 
If someone tells you, which they still do, if, if you were around someone and they convinced you that the way to achieve Buddha mind, which means awakened mind, is to always remember the awakened Buddha. Always to remember that Buddha is there to help you. Anything. Always remember that Buddha is still alive and prepared to assist those who are mindful. Whatever it is, if you hear that, you'll think about it. And if you undertake to do it, you have to think about it to do it. And you can believe, as you know now, you can certainly believe that you are doing something worthwhile. That when you started trying to remember the blessed name of Buddha, you only did it twice a day. But now after 20 years, you do it probably a hundred times a day. Who can tell you that's not progress? Other than somebody awake and say, well, are you more awake by doing it? Of course, then the people want to slap you. You know, say, shut up, I don't hear that. Because if you can now remember the blessed name of Buddha a hundred times a day, whereas ten years ago you could only do it twice a day, certainly that's progress. But it's not. Not unless you're more awake. If you're more awake, you're not remembering the name of Buddha. You're trying not to remember anything. <laughs> but I was wanting to point out that people, I can see it. From my view, that somewhere along the line, people realize the futility of trying to stop thought. And so they divert their attention. That rather than me wrestling with my mind, I will turn my mind over to Buddha. I will turn my, the fate of my consciousness over to the gods, over to some guru, over to some swami. Whatever it is, it's something outside of you. And you do that, if you adopt that, it gives a sensation. Originally, it can give the sensation that you are not now hypnotized by your own thinking. That you're involved with something other than swimming in your own thoughts. Because now you're attempting to swim in Buddhist thoughts. I don't know it does any good that I keep recommending my own method. But who's am I going to recommend? For some reason, when I came up with the idea, well, because I already had the model and the picture of the mind that is vacuous as thoughts are when they're just mechanical, when it's daydreaming. And why are they there and all that? And I've given you all kinds of views of it, made up stories. Uh, every time I get down to it, which I'm back down to it, as you know, for the last week, back at this particular perspective, uh, is to my mind, to my view, which is, it's really physiologically unassailable, that thoughts in their purest original basic form, well, in all their forms, they're not growth of feeling. Because it is feeling, it is sensation that keeps us alive. It is sensation that produces all of our thoughts. You do not have thoughts unless it is about something that you feel. I mean, it's simple as hell. I can't believe that if I just put it to any person, doctor, neurosurgeon, psychologist, psychiatrist, an ordinary intellectual or reasonably intellectual person, I can't believe that anybody would quarrel with that. They just don't think about it that way. 
But if I said all the thoughts that men have ever had, you know, other than just nonsense, but any thought that a man has had somewhere that was notable enough for him perhaps to repeat it to somebody, to give him that idea, and for somebody to remember it. In other words, what sounds to be a potentially correct thought, true thought, valid thought, something that's just not nonsense, then I say to you that that thought came from a feeling. There was a feeling, there was the response of somebody's total organism that had some sort of feeling, and all of our feelings are about survival. We do not have superfluous feelings. We don't have silly feelings. Other than maybe the joy of running nude through a thunderstorm in spring, mm -hmm. which is hard to explain. <laughs> but I guess it's just the joy of being alive. It's just when the endocrine system has overloaded you momentarily, and you want to jump up and click your heels and holler whooping, which, of course, most people seem to, for some strange reason, get over that somewhere past the early 20s. You see, very few people, 60 and 70 years old, <laughs> jumping up and clicking their heels and hollering, whee, and throwing out daisies as they skip through the field. But at any rate, all feelings have to do with survival. I mean, nobody can, I don't know how anybody can complain with that, find any fault with that. It is feelings, it's, that's the whole point of being a sentient creature, moving about, that you react, well, I keep saying that, uh, all living creatures react to the environment, but we react to the senses. And so that's the whole point of feeling, is to have you reacting to life, to your internal life and to your external, which is the same thing, but you're, it's the feelings you're reacting to it, and it's those that keep us alive, that keep us out of dangerous situations, that try to extract us from dangerous situations once they're recognized. It's feelings that uh, help us recover if we've been injured. It's feelings. It's feelings. It's not thoughts. It's important, as much fun as thinking can be. But I say that all thoughts that are not nonsense, it's not just gibberish, but if they're not nonsense, all thoughts came from a feeling. That's the only place they came from. They did not arise from nothing. If we didn't have feelings, we wouldn't think. There'd be no need to think. It served no purpose. What good would it do for a tree to think? Unless you're going to get really fancy and say, well, if they could think, one of them might get smart enough to learn how to pull its roots out of the ground and walk. See, that's just kind of shit I do to me when I think, when I have a dogmatic view that, well, it wouldn't do a tree any good to think. So I should just press on, but sometimes I can't resist thinking of kind of things that go on with me anyway. Because as soon as I said, well, if a tree could think, you know, it didn't have any need to think. Wouldn't do it any good. But as soon as I said that, in fact, just before I said it, I knew I was going to say, and I thought, that's not true. If a tree was really smart, if a tree could actually think, surely one of them would learn how to pull up roots and move around a little bit. Go to, go to where the soil's better. Now, I couldn't resist throwing that in just to confusion. You think, well, why'd you bring it up? It, never mind all that. Just an amusement. Uh, I found it astounding when I first saw it. I found it very helpful just to realize that thoughts, as magnificent as they are, as much of our life, our modern secondary reality, as much as it depends on thought, still, I, I recall when it first hit me that thoughts 
as vaporous, as ethereal as they are, that thoughts do not just spring out of nowhere. A person doesn't look down at a problem in life. People, somebody didn't look down and saw that fire was started by lightning one time. Anyway, they saw fire and never saw it and then realized it made them warm. And however they figured out, you know, they threw meat or vegetables on the fire and it, they tasted better and they just seemed to do them better physically. They didn't just suddenly look down at fire one day and quote a thought, go, wouldn't it be nice if I could pick up that fire and move it around? Now, it was thought that made it possible, obviously. But it was not simply from nowhere a thought said, oh, what if we could move a fire? What if we could keep it permanently going and take it with us wherever we went? So we didn't have to just look around and wait for that stuff to come out of the sky and chasing it around. There was a feeling. You understand the feeling, the survival enhancement of having fire. It was a feeling that produced the thought. Thoughts are absolute. They're shadows. They're gauges. They're file folders. It's not to make any less of them. But all of that taken in toto is what helped me come up with my own ways of dealing with it, of looking somewhere else. That there they are, and in a sense, as much fun as they are, and I, I thoroughly can enjoy it. Not only are they annoying, they are quite amusing. And they certainly are quite helpful. They have saved all of our lives individually many times throughout your existence. And yet, in a quite real sense, they do not exist. They are feelings with a voice. And so they're one step removed from feeling, but at any rate, they are simply something stuck on top of feeling. It is feeling that has gone as far as it can, in our case, physiologically, the feelings will keep you alive. As we all know, you can be alive without the ability to think. Can't call you human. I guess we'd have to call you homo sapien. But you know that such a person is not human in the real sense. I mean, they're just there. They're laying in bed or without being able to think. Their people are still mobile. But they're not human. But at any rate, feeling has gone so far and then it turned into thinking. If you can't stop thinking, and you can't decide to stop thinking, that it does no good, and yet I know that it's possible to be in that state, because I have had many experiences, as we call it, of Satori being awake, the extraordinary, full-blown state, and so I know exactly what it is, and I know what it is when I'm talking about not being burdened by think, thought, and blah, blah, blah. At any rate, I know what it is, and substantially speaking, the idea that you can't stop thought, which to me in everyday life is true, it's not true. There's something else. If you can't stop thinking, and if it does you no good to decide not to, that I just won't think. If I can't stop it, I just won't think. Then I finally got too well. So and this was little jokes I used to give to you people. I was hinting at it when I would say, what if a guy tried to awaken for years and years and years and he couldn't do it? As far as he was concerned, he couldn't achieve it. What if he decided and he could handle it that he never again thought about being asleep? And I'd ask you the question, is he then asleep? Is he still asleep? 
if he had spent years and years, because you've got to want to do it. You've got to have been somebody that spent some time trying to awaken from sleep. But if you couldn't do it, as far as you're concerned, you could not achieve this goal of going from what we call being asleep to being awake. Then if you finally could just never again think about being asleep, then my question is, would you still be asleep? Or would something else have happened? And those of you with good memories know that I have brought up that little pseudo-humorous remark at least a half a dozen times over the last same number of years. It was along those lines that struck me, I'm trying to describe to you, that what if you did something else? What if instead of dealing directly with the mind of trying to do something with thought, trying to do something with that part of the brain that produces thought. What if you could do something else? But it can't be something outside you. I already knew better than that. It's not like, well, from now on, I'll turn it over to God. I'll just now, every time that I find myself absolutely asleep and caught up, submerged in the automatic flow going on in my head, the daydreaming, I'll say, I turn it over to Buddha. I call upon the great Zoroaster. Help me. Help me, Big Z. You take charge. I'm not going to go much further into that. I just say again, I assume all you people realize, if you try and substitute what's going on inside of you, if you try to turn it over in some way, you try to turn your attention to something apparently outside of you, it will do nothing. You can apparently do something. Because without a doubt, people who try to do such as that, the Pure Land School of Buddhism, they used to be known of just repeating what it meant to is the name of Buddha over and over and over. Imagine such a man. What if he had, was the kind of guy that for years and years had tried to stop thought, tried to control thought, tried to stabilize his consciousness so that it was absolutely under his direction and he couldn't do it. And somebody said, well, do you realize there's another way to go about this? You've been trying to, maybe he'd been trying to be a Zenist, trying to achieve enlightenment through the seeing, by understanding the nature of the mind, by controlling the mind. And somebody says, well, if you're not having any success, do you realize there's another one known as the pure Buddhist school, the pure land? All you do is you say, whatever the phrase is, I turn, I turn my mind over to Buddha. I turn my mind over to Buddha. And the person tries it. There's no doubt that you can have the impression that I am now no longer as submerged and caught up in my thinking as I used to, all those daydreams, because now when I see them start, I go, no, I turn it over to Buddha. I turn it over to Buddha. And so you can feel like, well, I'm no longer asleep like I was. I am no longer, whenever I can remember it, it works. They can say, praise be to Buddha, I'm glad I heard about this. Because now, when I catch myself just being carried away, and not just all these obscene, useless, meaningless, wearisome daydreams, if I can just remember, go, I turn it over to Buddha, I turn it over to Buddha, I, it'll stop. It's a miracle. I wish I'd known this years ago. And they never realized what happened. Which, you know, it's all right. None of my business. In fact, if you can do it, it's none of my business. 
I don't know how anybody can do that. I don't know how anybody can do that who has struggled enough to understand anything. It's just, it is not, it's not what the real goal of this is. So if you can't do that, if you can't look outside yourself, then that's where it gets subtle indeed, is if I'm going to do something to keep from being tied up in thinking. If that is the source of what I call being asleep, if that is the whole state that annoys me, just the common running of my daydreams, just from the wearisomeness of it to the danger of it under certain conditions, of me being distracted when I shouldn't be, throughout all of that, if my attempt is to do something with thinking and with the mind, and there doesn't seem to be anything to do except chase your tail, you just dance for yourself, and I can't look outside. If I turn my attention outside, then I've got to think about whatever it is, so that won't work. So it's got to be done internally. What can I do? Well, you've got to turn your attention somewhere besides the mind. You have got to turn the mind's attention away from itself. I say you have to. I'm saying if you were trying to pursue this line of effort, this line of discovery... If you'd been in that position yourself, then you're left with this. I've got to turn it internally. I've got to turn my mind because that's what's talking to me right now. It's those thoughts. If they're not going to keep trying to look at themselves, if I'm not going to continue to have a hand trying to grab itself, a foot trying to step on itself, an eyeball trying to see itself, then what am I going to have the eyeball look at? What? That if you've, if you've excluded any possible thing outside you, well, I'll have it look at the Zen system of waking. I'll have it look at a Sufi monastery. I'll have it look at uh, such and such writings about how to... No. If you're going to make your mind, instead of look at itself, attempt to look at itself inside of you, you're not going to look outside, what else can it look at? Where are you going to turn it? And it's not that easy to do. Because it's not made, not only as I pointed out, and you should know by now, it's not made to look at itself. It is simply the mind is not constructed. And it's still not invalid for me to say that it's impossible for it to do it. But it's certainly not constructed for the mind to look at itself. It has no inclination to. And if you've tried one thousandth as hard to actually make the mind see itself as I have, then you know the difficulty of it. I'm just assuming, not bragging, I'm just dumber. More interested in it, apparently, than anybody I've ever met. I have tried extensively. And so if it's not going to, if it, if it ultimately proves to be less than totally useful of the mind attempting to look at itself, there's no doubt that that's where to start. And there's no doubt that if it could actually do it over a sustained period of time, it would work. But it finally hit me in a certain way that if you could do it, what is it that you're actually seeing? If you stop the mind and then you can see to the bottom of the mind, if you see the nature of the mind, what have you seen? If I hadn't come up with this new way of describing it to you, I would have never answered that question. It's just, well, you see things as they are. You've seen the secret. But one thing, I, one way I can put it, if you see to the bottom of the mind or you see the nature of the mind, what do you see? You see feelings, because that's the nature of the mind. 
That's at the bottom of the mind. At any rate, from my view, that is true. From the view I'm describing, that is correct. And so why not just go there directly? If you need something else to look at, look at feeling. And then I repeat one more time, just to caution you. It's not to look at how you feel. It's not to look at how you physically feel. Because everybody knows how they physically feel. People are not interested in this. If you said, well, the way we attempt to achieve enlightenment is now he's got us attempting to be aware of how we feel. If you put it that way, people think, Jesus, big deal. You know, I know how I feel. You I mean, you have to go listen to him talk, and he says, well, what you need to do is be aware of how you feel. It's idiocy. Everybody knows how they feel. But see, that's not what I said. It's be aware of feeling. Not aware of how you feel. I mean, if you've got a stomachache, whether you're a mystic or not, you know that you've got a stomachache. If you've got a headache or if you just don't feel good. There's a mystic saying in southern Belarus, if you're feeling poorly, then whether you're a mystic or whether you're just a man out in the fields, a man in the gutter, you know that you're feeling poorly. It's to be aware of feeling. It works for me. And I can't tell you anything. I can tell you what not to do. Don't be aware. Don't believe that you're being aware of how you feel. That's why I just covered. And don't let it become, which is just an offshoot of that, don't let it become some form of hypochondria. Like, oh, I didn't realize I felt that bad until he told me to be aware of how I feel. Slap yourself. Just be aware of feelings. Not aware of how you feel. And if you, I'll give you this final hint. If you try it and you think, you think, if you try it and you say to yourself or you think, well, uh, let's say I'm, I'm trying to do something, but I'm not sure what it is. You're, you're right on it. How can you be aware of feeling? I'm, I'm doing something. What is it? That's it. That's it. It's, almost, it's emptiness. If you don't understand it, if you go, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Hold it. Before you say it doesn't make any sense, you're right there. Uh, and to, from my experience, which is not without some, which is not little extensive, it has all of the attributes, I might say to a minor degree than the, than the big full-time, as they used to call it, the big Satori's. It will stop your wanderings in time. It brings you back to the present. You don't have to try. It just makes you aware just, you're just here. That was my little theatrics last time when I came in and you know, jumped up and down and said, I don't know about you, but by God, <laughs> I feel pretty... Eh, nothing. Pretty empty. When it comes to feeling this way or that, I'll tell you this. So that was a response if you stopped being aware of what you were thinking and be aware of feeling. You were saying, I'll tell you, when it comes to feeling this way or that way, I'll tell you what. And it's not the same feel. It's not the same thing as the feeling of struggling to stop thought, which is attempting to stop a train with your tongue or your eyebrow. 
I'll say one final thing. How about this? I've been holding this back. It's what happens to me, my experience, that can't be that different than... It's almost as though you can mentally turn away from the mind. That's why I warned you, or pointed out, two meetings ago when I first started this, I said, if you listen a certain way, what I'm about to talk about can sound as though it's just the opposite from what I've been urging you to do. But it's not to denounce the mind. It's not to go, oh boy, I'll never try and understand the mind. You can't, it's not that. It's just almost as though you can mentally turn away. Instead of the intense study, as I have been encouraging everyone to do, that if you're not continually trying to think about the mind, you're not thinking. If your sole intent is not to become conscious of consciousness, then you're doing nothing. All right? In spite of all that, I'm telling you, here's another way. It's almost, it sounds as though, I'm, you should hear it, that verbally it sounds as though it's just the opposite. It's paying no attention to the mind. It's a crude way of putting it. But it's almost like that. But remember, it, it has no passion about it. It's not like, well, damn it. I'm just sick of it. I won't do it anymore. I hadn't been succeeding in doing much by studying my mind anyway. So, you know, screw that. Or later from my old damn daydream. No, it's just almost as though you can turn away. It's almost as though, I don't know if this means anything to you. To me, I'll go ahead and tell you, instead of just turn away, it's almost as though I can just sort of cut my eyes over where things are going on, and it's just sort of like I can look over their heads. Like it's just a crowd of people that I don't want to fool with. I know who they are, a bunch of rowdies. It's just a bunch of shit I don't want to fool with, and I can almost picture it as being people. I don't know why I should have said that. I lied. I don't picture it as being people, but I thought it might get you to going. It's just this mess over here. It's like I can just kind of cut my eyes and I can look over them. You understand? It's always is like a group of people I don't want to fool with, and it's sort of like you look over the heads. If I was giving a routine psychological explanation of this, it would be like, you're pretending you don't want to acknowledge them. You don't want to get involved. You're afraid that if you actually make eye contact, you know how people are. Somebody look at you and maybe say something. Or go, oh, yeah, we were just talking about you. It's like you refuse to make eye contact. I glance around at them. You got the glance because you keep trying to look away. That's like trying to stop thought. And they got you. They're just in your back pocket. They're all over your back instead of your front. It's like almost I can turn around when I feel it I'm about to slip. And internally it's sort of like I can glance, but I'll go ahead and say there's a bunch of people I don't want to fool with, but don't ever make eye contact. <laughs> I just kind of glance over their heads. And you know how you can do that. You glance over the heads of something that's going on, anything. Cars moving. You can glance right over it. Your peripheral vision, you know where they are, but you just make your actual vision. You just look right over their heads. And I, the way I've done it, I don't know how to tell you, is I remind myself, feeling. I'm only interested, I'm only aware of feeling. And don't get hung up that, well, you're not sure what it means. I could say I don't either. I'll make it work. At least it's not saying, well, I won't be aware of thinking. <laughs> yeah, right. 
I won't think about thinking. Okay, yeah. I won't be aware of thinking. Even that doesn't quite get it. You've got to have something to replace it with. And as I said, I don't see anything that you can replace it with that's outside of a person. I don't mean it, that I'm surmising that. I know it's true. You can't turn your attention away from yourself. You can do it, as I pointed out, and make yourself believe that you're not any longer as entangled in your thoughts because now you're entangled in thinking about the church or about Buddha, about you know, some Sufi school, whatever it is. You've got to turn it internally. I say th feeling. I say feeling is what's running us. I say also, maybe I'll go on that next time, the whole idea that I tried to encourage the sensation of considering who is it? Who is it driving me home? Who is it when I'm sitting at home and I suddenly get up and go get a glass of water? Who is it that decided for me to go get that glass of water? I still feel sorry if you people don't do that. That is more fun than listening to me or anybody. That's almost as much fun as being awake. To me, the feeling that come on about, who is it? What made me get that glass of water? It's not an answer like I was thirsty. I say turn your attention, turn your awareness on feeling rather than thought uh, can bring on, can produce something along the lines of realizing who it is, what it is, is running you. Because it's not thinking. Everybody should know that. Well, I say that. But all you got to do is be back in thinking, and nobody remembers that. Buddha doesn't. No one does. If you're back in thinking, you never remember that thinking is not running my life. Because when thinking has complete... When your consciousness consists only of the thinking, there's nothing to say it's not running your life. It's not possible. not possible to question it. Which nobody else has any need to. But I say that's what the whole struggle to awaken is about. But then again, I say a lot of things. And I will probably say more in the future. Unless I'm stopped. <laughs> Unless somebody wrestles my tongue to the ground. Wrestle your own tongue to the ground. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.